Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Wendy. Hi, good evening. My name is Wendy, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Well, it's really great to be here and see all these wonderful faces. Um, Last time I was here, I I think it was shortly after I'd taken a candle for 13 years of abstinence. I wasn't blonde, and I'm here to tell you that now I am blonde. For those of you, you know, just imagine the visual, blonde, and then some red glasses. And um, I now have just under two years of abstinence. So I will explain that as part of my story. Um, I've been coming to this wonderful fellowship since 1994, and I thank God that it was the first fellowship that I found um, of 12 Steps, because it's just absolutely my base, it's loving, it's kind, and I actually had the honor of um, listening to a sponsee's part of her very first uh, fourth step this afternoon before I came over, and you know, I'd taken some notes, as you do when you're listening to a fourth step, and you know, it was a laundry list of those character defects that we have, and I just said, look, you might have some feelings come up, you know, after I leave, and and just, you know, if you want to text, if you want to call, I said, we all have these same defects. We have all done this stuff. We were all children. We did all these things. I don't want you to feel that this is an exercise showing you, oh, you should feel, you know, really crummy about yourself. We're doing this. We're just sort of pulling the covers, and we're just, like, looking at our stuff and examining it and seeing the reasons why we grew up and you know, used food or whatever it is that we use as we do. So um, I'll get into my story. Um, As I said, I came in in 1994. I'm a native Angelino, and I came in shortly after that uh, earthquake we had in January. And um, I was sitting at my house, and um, I called my mother, because I knew she had been in the fellowship off and on over the years, and I said, Mom, what's that OA thing that you used to do? And so she gave me the number of the Los Angeles Intergroup, which is where I was living at the time. So I attended my first meeting at the uh, log cabin, and, you know, even when I go there today, I always expect a rat to kind of climb out. From, and those of you who are laughing, who are in L.A., and people who are listening and stuff, you, you always kind of expect a little rat to crawl out from the, underneath the bathroom there. But it's a great place. Um, it's where I first got my recovery. And um, it wasn't until quite a bit after that I remembered, oh, wow, I was a teenager, and I went to a Darby meeting. And Darby, for those who don't know, is on Darby Street. It's the San Fernando Valley Intergroup. And I remember going in there, and I remember hearing the kids talking about God, and that really freaked me out. And I left because I had lots more eating to do. So, you know, the basics are I um, went on one diet once in my life. I was, you know, overweight. I'm passing photos around for those of you here, but overweight from pretty much, you know, age four onwards. And, you know, food was my family. It was family. It was fun. It was celebration. And, um, you know, I was always told I had such a cute face. If you could only lose the weight, blah, blah, blah. So in high school, I got fed up. I'm like, okay, you know, it's time. I, I really do need to lose the weight and take advantage of the cute face and just do the whole deal. So, you know, this was the 80s. And um, so visualize me in the spandex and the leg warmers, working it out in aerobics class, writing down, you know, keeping to that, you know, whatever it was, 1,200 calories a day or whatever that stuff is that you hear that you're supposed to do. And lo and behold, you know, I went from like 185 to 135. And uh, the thing that stuck out most in my mind from that time period, which was maybe like a year or so, maybe during my last year of high school, 
was that people started treating me differently. The boys started treating me differently. Even the teachers started treating me differently. And I remember being very angry because I was still the same person. And I still had the same feelings and I still had the same issues. Um, you know, granted, I liked being a smaller size, but it was very easy for me when I went back east to college and put on all that weight and then some to say, well, you know, I just wasn't mature enough to handle that weight loss and blah, blah, a any excuse in the book. So, um, you know, I just continued eating and having a good time and, you know, I often say that when I came into this program, uh, I had two emotions. I was eating or I was crying. You know, I sought, I sought outside help. I was in the program maybe, I'm trying to think how many years. Oh, it wasn't until like four years in the program that a friend suggested some outside help. And the outside help said, oh, you know what? You're crying, but you're actually angry. And I didn't know there were all these different varieties of emotions. And so um, anyhow, I... I really have never enjoyed looking at the scale. It was never really my friend. So probably the last time I weighed myself, I said, all right, right on, 135 in high school. And then off I went, you know, to college and 3,000 miles from home and whoopee and goody-goody and all that. And I was in a very loving women's college, and it was wonderful. And um, I came back home, moved back home with my mother and grandmother, and got um, a job in my chosen field. And, uh, you know, within a year or so, I was promoted to a full-time employment there. It was not really enough money to justify moving out of the house, but I did it anyhow. I just, it's like I, I can never be where I am. I'm always racing to get to the next spot. Here, I'm in college. Let me get out and go to work. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm working. Okay, let me race out and get to the next job. So I find myself living with a roommate um, on the fringe of West Hollywood. Um, you know, not quite West Hollywood, but, you know, right, right around there. And I would find myself, my weekends were spent clubbing in Boys Town with him. You know, I'm a straight female, but clubbing in Boys Town and being safe and overweight and hanging out with the gay guys, because that was totally a safe place for me to be, and schlepping myself out to the valley um, to have dinner with my family, which I didn't really want to do, but I didn't realize that until later. Like, oh, I, I might have a choice here. So anyhow... Um, I, my, yeah, and the weekends were spent, you know, overspending at the shopping malls, overeating, drinking, hanging out with the boys. And then I found myself um, calling my mom because I knew something was up. I, I would intend to make myself, like, two very light quesadillas in the microwave with, like, the lowest fat cheese you could find and the paper-thin tortillas that you could actually see through, and I'd make seven of them. And so I called mom, and I was like, okay, you know, what's this OA thing? So I showed up. I don't remember who spoke. I don't remember the faces. I'm pretty sure I heard them talk about God, but I said, you know, let me just give this thing a, a chance. And I guess I was sort of open-minded because I'm not one of those people who had tried a million diets. Um, you know, I'm in my early 40s, but I wasn't of the age where I was going and getting the pregnant women's you know, urine shots or any of that exciting stuff. I hadn't tried the fen-fen thing. So I said, you know what, let's just give this darn thing a, a shot. And I found myself going to meetings, and um, and then I actually had a, I went up to visit a girlfriend in Seattle from college, and I got on the scale, so this was shortly after I started, and I saw I was 223 pounds. And most women, you don't think you're going to get over 200, and then when you get over 200, you might not think, I'm, I'm not going to ever hit 300, but it happens. And so that sort of rude awakening was like, okay, maybe I'm in the right place, let's keep on trucking. So my early eight days of abstinence were, were kind of interesting because they were a huge list of no's. It was like a big, long list, like no creamy this, no this, no that. Even stuff that I didn't necessarily have issues with, like red meat was on the list, right? 
and I sort of wore it as a badge of armor, as a badge of righteousness. And I, you know, I, I was so happy to tell you, yeah, I started being at the gym. Yeah, I'm going to a program. Yeah, I don't eat this, that, the other. And then I'd get mad when my family would say, well, can you eat at this restaurant? Well, of course I can eat at this restaurant. I'd snap. You know, I'd get so mad at people. But I was giving all this information that I didn't. And, it was, and, I, and I realized I led a meeting the other night, and forgive me those who heard me before, I think it was just such a desperate attempt. Please like me. Please like me. Let me show you all of my defects and my foibles and all my issues. And please like me and see, look, I'm really trying to be better. But um, ultimately, the only person that... I really need to please is my higher power. So let's talk about that whole higher power thing. So I came in, you know, being a person who'd been raised with a little bit of religious background, had, you know, the, the bat mitzvah, all that kind of business. Oops, I just revealed my religious background. But anyhow, um, you know, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. But for whatever reason, I hated seeing people wearing, you know, religious jewelry, and I'd see bumper stickers, and i just get this sort of, Wash of self-righteousness, you know, kind of like, you know, what big Bill W. talks about in the big book, you know, how he just hated religion and he hated seeing all that stuff. And then you read a few pages on, you're like, oh, my God, what the, what the heck happened to this guy? He just kind of, you know, he did a 180. What happened? And I, mine was of the spiritual variety that it talks about in the big book. It was slow. It was steady. And um, here's sort of how it happened for me in my first year or so. I found myself taken off the weight. And I wasn't feeling quite as angry. People were noticing, but I didn't feel that those waves of resentment arising because I had a support system. I had people who understood me. I had people who would share in meetings, you know, I am so mad at my husband that I want to eat a cake the size of Texas. And I knew what they meant, and I didn't think it was crazy. Or maybe I thought it was crazy, but I was the same kind of crazy, so it was okay. Um, and I started learning that it wasn't just about the food, and it wasn't just about my weight. I recently had to do some very in-depth inventories um, for this and other programs. And as I look back in my life, a lot of my hurts, my disappointments, my angers at people and situations, I thought that I was getting screwed over, or I wasn't getting the solo, or I wasn't getting the guy or the job because of my weight. And it was actually because of my chronic personality. No, it wasn't. It was because it was for whatever reasons. But I wanted to just blame everything on the weight. And then as you start to take off some weight in your program and you have to put down the food, you, you're like, oh, wow, this is the stuff I'm actually eating over. So as I noticed people were reacting differently, I was having a different reaction. And I thought, okay, Wendy, left to your own devices, you are drowning in a vat of macaroni and cheese. So there must be something outside yourself. So, you know, there's a lot of different terms you can call it. You can even, you know, we're told we can call it the group. We can call it, you know, the 12-step program. One of my, um, my dear sponsees, we're no longer, we're still friends, but no longer sponsoring, she called her... Uh, her, her higher power Peggy for a while because it was an old camp counselor that um, you know was kind to her when everybody else was treating her mean and uh, so eventually I just said you know what I argue I debate I try to find loopholes and this and that why don't I just call this thing God this thing that I really don't understand and I still don't understand it I honestly do not understand it. You know, is it good orderly direction? Is it the quiet voice that 
says, maybe going to Target right now because you're angry isn't the best idea. I haven't always listened to that voice, but I'm slowly learning that the more I listen to it, it's my higher self, it's my intuition, it's the stuff that's going to keep me out of trouble. And it may not always be what I want or look like what I want because, you know, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm an addict. Give it to me now. Give it to me immediately, and it needs to look like this. And if it doesn't, you know, I'm out. Um, and that's what was so interesting, going back to that sponsee today. You know, we were just talking about that. I said it's that perfectionism in us. If it doesn't look exactly how we think it's meant to look, or if we get one piece of criticism, we just want to, you know, abandon ship. And I've always just wanted to abandon ship, and, and the food was an easy way to abandon ship. You know, anyone who says that, you know, sugar or flour or whatever is your, you know, chosen poison doesn't have an effect on you, I say baloney. I say, you know, if you're a normal eater and you can just eat a little bit and put it down, fine. That's how I happen to be with alcohol. I choose not to have alcohol today because of the sugar. I don't really care about alcohol. But do I care about bread? Heck yes, I care about bread a lot. Bread has been, you know, my best friend. It has been my comfort. It has been my love. And the fear sometimes of letting go something that has given you so much comfort is so painful that you really, it's not even like, uh-oh, my back's up against the wall. It's like, okay, the ball's on fire. Oh, wait, okay, it's really getting hot. Oh, wow, now my skin is scorching and coming off. I am that kind of stubborn, compulsive overeater. So back to the story, you know, I kept abstaining. Um, I wound up getting a food sponsor. A woman calls me at the office. My roommate had given her my number at the office, which we never did because back then we shared a phone. This was all pre-cell phone days. And I was like, wow, how did you get my number? Oh, the roommate gave it to me. Well, I later called that a God shot because something in him must have known that she needed to call me. And she did need to call me because she heard that I needed some help. Um, and that's what it is. That's what's so beautiful about this program. We do it for fun and for free. It's not always fun. It is not fun doing those inventories. It's not always fun reading them. But the fun and the laughter and the smiles that we have with each other, we go, oh, yeah, you stole this when you were in school. Oh, you stole that food. Yeah, whatever. You had that stale piece of junk because you thought, you know, you should. I've done that, too. And we can kind of laugh about it because we don't have to do that today because we have each other. So, you know, so three years goes by. I think it's just under three years. I'm sponsoring. I'm speaking. I'm down to 154 from 223. I'm the business. You know, I'm going out. I'm dating. You know, I'm not hanging out in the gay boy nightclubs all the time. Um, wow, all is good. All is well. And then, you know, I get cocky. I'm resting on my spiritual laurels. I'm going to the same three meetings every week. I'm not trying to expand my spiritual life. Um... The only parts of the big book I know are the parts where, you know, in a, oftentimes in our meetings we'll read how it works. Some other meetings might read more about alcoholism, and we can relate to those. But I wasn't actually in this book. And every time I kind of look at it, I go, God, that's such a weird, antiquated, you know, sexist piece of literature. How can I relate to that? You know, written by alcoholics in the 30s, blah, blah, blah. Because I'm argumentative. I'm stubborn. I don't want to see that this kind of stuff applies to me. So... Um, as I told you, I don't care for the scale. I kind of stopped weighing myself. I kind of started taking back the foods that I knew I couldn't eat like a lady. You know, they talk about, can you drink like a gentleman or a lady? I knew I couldn't have this stuff like a lady, but, you know, I thought I could. So then I decided to start trying on everybody else's abstinence and food plan. Oh, look, this one doesn't eat bread or pasta. Great. I'm going to do that. I'm going to try it. Oh, wow, I'm eating a pound of rice at every meal. And then I went to seek an outside source, you know, a, a nutritionist at the suggestion of a friend in my program. She said, maybe you want to seek a professional's help. And she gave me awesome advice, things like, well, when you go out to dinner with your boyfriend, you can share the dessert and you can 
to have one piece of bread from the bread basket. And when you have those french fries, count out eight of them. Those are all wonderful tips for normal eaters or people who, you know, are writing down everything like mad. And, um, and she really babied me in the sense that, you know, I would get on her scale, but I could turn my back, so I couldn't really see what was really going on. So, um, you know, God intervened. She got pregnant. I had to leave her. I went to see another one. It didn't work out. And I thought, hi, you've been going to Overeaters Anonymous for years. And by this point, I'd gotten a new sponsor. I had started Step Work Over. And my sponsor was really gentle. This was in, um, so I, before I went to see the nutritionist, I had just restarted an abstinence in 97. So um, I started over. And uh, it's like, oh, wow, well, I'm not eating sugar, but, wow, I'm still, you know, gaining weight. And then I just kind of ignored it. And then um, I found myself at the doctor's office because I wasn't feeling well. And I, this was around um, 2000. And she said, you look really good. Have you been working out? And I said, oh, yeah, doc, I've been working out. i got a trainer. She's like, well, great, let's get on the scale. I'm up to 196. The last time I had seen myself on the scale, I was 154 at another doctor's office. So this shows you that I suffer from this kind of denial. Now, people who are in the room here, those of you who are listening, there are some of us who have no business being anywhere near a scale. My intuitive self knows I'm not one of those. I know if I give myself that leeway, I'm going to be, you know what I mean? I, I know I'll be 400 pounds because this disease runs in my family. It's accepted in my family. Um, you know, I've had periods where, are, are you losing too much weight? I mean, that kind of stuff was going on. So, um, you know, I, I kept trying to fix it. And the thing is, you know, what is step three? And I've really been trying to think about step three lately. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. That says the care. That doesn't say the neglect. It's very difficult. I'm very stubborn. I'm constantly grabbing it back. And lately I've been spinning out about career stuff and other things because I'm trying to change the situation. And as I heard someone say earlier, you know, when I try to do it, when I try to lose weight, when I try to control and manage all the other people in my life, it doesn't work. When I let go, wow, wonderful things happen. I might get a call about work. I might stop getting in car accidents, which I've had my fair share of this year. And, well, maybe something in my attitude might change. And then maybe my body shifts. But it's just remembering that I don't have to run the whole darn show anymore. Because when I do, it just ultimately leads to disaster. So, so anyhow, so I'm still utzing and I'm futzing and I'm trying out everybody else's, you know, stuff. And I'm working out. And finally, I'm doing step work with a sponsor, um, sponsor I had for several years. We're not together anymore, but again, we're still friends. And uh, I said, you know, I, I eat X, Y, and Z every morning. She said, well, how about trying, you know, something else? And she said that. And this was around 2003. And then she took a sponsor in the Valley, where I'm from, and said, well, guess what? I took this new sponsor. We're going to go to meetings five days a week. We're going to weigh ourselves once a week, and we're going to really get into that big book. And I almost bolted. I didn't want any of that stuff. You know, I certainly didn't want to scale in my home. My God, that's horrible. Um, but I said, you know what? At this point, I was self-employed. I had no reason to say that I couldn't get to five meetings a week. At this point, I was living in the Valley, and it, it did take me a while to adjust. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I don't like change. And the Valley meetings were kind of different. And I'd sit there, and I'd get really annoyed because I'd hear people talk about food, the food plan versus abstinence. 
I heard some of them, you know, measured their food. Some of them called, like, alcoholic foods. And I was like, this isn't loving. This isn't kind. This isn't like the city. But I was kind of stuck. You know, I was I was living in Studio City. I'm like, well, you know, like it or lump it, you're a valley girl now. And you can go to your Hollywood meetings. But if you're working out of the house, it might be useful to, you know, open your mind a little bit. What does it talk about? You know, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And they don't always come in that order. But um, I had to open up my mind a little bit. So um, I didn't run away from this sponsor. She didn't stick with that sponsor very long, but I stuck with those concepts. I did make it a point to go to five meetings a week. And along the way, I realized, ooh, I might have some other issues here that might require something in addition to OA, that might require some additional 12-step work. And maybe I can start practicing my 11th step more and just a whole bunch of different stuff because my mind opened. Um, I decided to go back to school in 2007, and my weight uh, had my weight had gone back down, and it was a little bit lower than my previous low weight. And um, I went back to school. I got married. That dear sponsor of mine relapsed and said, "I'm really sorry. I have to let you go." Right before I started school, and it was stressful. But I knew someone else that I can call, as you do, you know, being around for a while. And I called her, and we started working. And it was quite different. It was a very different um, sort of abstinence. She really got me into the big book. Um, one of the things that she did, she sort of told me what my abstinence was going to be. And uh, for better or worse, you know, it is what it is. Certain things that I adhere to then, I adhere to now. But for me, personally, I don't tell my sponsees what they need to eat, what their alcoholic foods are. I think that that is between a person and their own honesty and their own higher power. And it takes a long time. You know, you heard me mention, you know, bread is not really my friend anymore. It took me a long time to get there, a very long time. And I still stumble and trip, and I was talking to someone before the meeting, very imperfect abstinence, you know. The only thing that I've done perfectly in 18 years is I never left. I never said, that's it, I'm done with OA, I'm sick of these people, I'm sick of hearing about the disease, blah, blah, blah. You know, I remember when I was in school, and um, a classmate who was so sweet, one of the first people who was really nice to me, a very obese woman said, we were talking about it, and I told her I'd been in OA, and da-da-da, and she said, but... You know, I, I, said, I, I checked out one of those meetings once, but isn't that just so awful to, you know, you constantly, you, you're reinforcing it. Just like, you know, the alcoholic, you're reinforcing, I'm an overreader, I'm an alcoholic. Isn't that, is this, that just bad and reinforce it? And I said, you know, to me, it's just such second nature. It's like saying, I'm an overreader, I'm a woman, I am a Californian, I'm an American. It just, it doesn't have that emotional charge for me that it used to. Um, and when I, you know, joined those other fellowships, I said, oh, great, now I'm a triple loser, not like a double winner. I'm a triple loser. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It's just more layers of the onion are revealed. And, um, you know, God bless our, our AA brothers and sisters who come in and they finally go, you know what? I can't deal with my food issues in AA. I need something else. And sometimes you need a little bit of something else. And an OA friend said to me, you know, you've been here 18 years. How do you... How can you still keep coming and and hearing people? And I said, you know, here's what keeps me coming back. When I hear miracles, when I see tears turn to laughter, when I hear, how do you use the steps to get through life? Life is really difficult. Um, You know, there is a lot of suffering. But the more I look at it, I'm learning to have more of that critical, I'm becoming a bit more forgiving towards myself, which is in turn going to others. And as I'm trying to practice this forgiveness, it seems like the judgment and all those gnarly defects are coming up. But then I'll pause. I'll go, okay, thank you. You can go back to where you are. Let's, you know, all right. Instead of saying, Wendy, I can't believe you. 18 years on, you're still so judgmental and horrible. It's, you know, saying, you know what? 
everybody is just trying to do their best. We may look at it and say, that sure doesn't look like the best to me. But we don't know. We haven't walked in their shoes. We don't know what is going on in another person's mind or what could have happened to them. Um, and so I'm trying to practice a little bit more of that patience and forgiveness because most of the time when I'm judging and I'm complaining and this and that, it's because ultimately it comes back to me. I'm unhappy with something that I've done. You know, I kind of snapped at my trainer buddy over something and it was like she was making a little joke about weight stuff and I got really upset and she's like oh you know why did you do that I said you know what it was actually this other thing I'd gotten this government I'd gotten this letter and so that made me ultra sensitive but you know the big book says I, the big book says our sensitivity is our grossest handicap and um, I'm one of those people that my, my father you're so sensitive you are just so sensitive of course, you want to deck them, you know, or someone tells, tells you, calm down, you need to calm down. What do you want to do? You want to just boot them up the you-know-what. But um, but we can laugh about it here, and, and I know that you guys relate. So when I read in the big book that I'm selfish and self-centered, I can go, yeah, I am. And so are all the other wonderful people who are sitting here with me. But, yeah, if a family member says that, oh, yeah, why don't you look at yourself? Put down the magnifying glass and look in the mirror. You know, but my sponsors tell me that... Um, I may be the only example of the big book that people see. And sometimes I forget that. So it's really important to, if, if you, um, what, a really great reading in the big book, for those of you who are new to it, 86 to 88, which tells us what to do on awakening and on retiring. And something that is exceptionally important to me is to pause when agitated or doubtful. And I probably spend about 85% of my day being agitated or doubtful. So I really need to pause. You know, in AA rooms, you'll see signs that say, think, think, think. And I have been guilty of overthinking and overanalyzing. Oh, there's one here. Awesome, of course. Yeah, so, but yeah, think and pause. How would that feel if, you know, it were said to you. That, that's kind of what it is. When I think when I started doing those, you know, a lot of us, we want to skip ahead and we go, oh, my God, I'm going to have to make amends. Oh, yeah, 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 this is horrible. But you know what? Be where you are today. If you're in step one today, be in step one. If you've just finished an inventory, but you're like, ooh, I'm having some issues with step three, it's probably because you're really having some issues with step two. So go back there. Don't try to walk this walk alone. Have a sponsor who helps you out. Um, and try to pause and think, but don't overanalyze and don't judge it. Just go, you know what, this is my nature. When my cat sits on me and she um, she likes to knead, and she has claws, because a lot of cats don't like getting their nails turned. And I'm like, one time I looked at her, I'm like, holy moly, I'm all, you know, I'm all mangled. I look, you know, this is awful. So what do I do? I learn. I put a towel on my stomach, and I get to enjoy my time with my cat, and she's not doing it because she's out to get me. I spent so much of my existence thinking it was because they were out to get me, and usually it's because I was fat, or just, you know, all that guilt and that shame and that anxiety that comes from all the self-judgment and just really hating yourself. Um, and, then, you know, and, and until you put down the food, or until I put down the food, which was my numbing agent, I didn't know that that was really just to hide all that, that feeling of, you know, insecurity, discontent, all this kind of stuff that, you know, it comes and goes. You know, the character defects, um, I was reading something recently that talked about, you know, our feelings versus our defects. Feeling angry, feeling fearful, these aren't necessarily defects. This is part of being human. So to say, I shouldn't feel any anger, this is, this is bad, I, I can't feel any fear because then I'm not in faith. It's normal. Sometimes fear is anxiety, or sometimes fear and anxiety are excitement because you're excited to start the new job or you're excited to move in with your partner. 
It's just stuff. It passes. I always forget that things are going to pass. Cravings pass. You know, a craving is not a command. I've given into the craving a gazillion times, and not just with the food. And ultimately, afterwards, it could be five seconds, five minutes, the shame comes back. But if I'm able to take that pause and go, wait, what happened when you did this last time? Oh, yeah, it just sent you in such a hideous, awful spiral, you know. Um, my first year or so, a friend, and I want to share this one with you because I shared it the other night, and I just it really rings true, and I, I need to drop her line and thank her again. Um, so this must have been, you know, 17, 18 years ago. So it was a friend who I knew from business, and we happened to run into each other in an OA meeting. And I'd had a really large Mexican meal, and I was just feeling so guilty and so ashamed of myself because my absence back then was like, you know, it was a straitjacket. It was really like, <gasps> and I said, I am just, I was so beside myself. I'm like, I'm crying. on the And she said, Wendy, if I can forgive you and God can forgive you, can you forgive yourself? And I shared that with people. I just say, you know what? Forgive yourself. It was a big dinner. Okay, stop eating. You're done. Be done for the night. Tomorrow's another day. You don't have to beat the you-know-what out of yourself. And if you're struggling with finding a food plan or an abstinence that works for you, just try letting go of one little thing. And you don't have to say it's forever. Say, okay, one day at a time I'm doing this. Be gentle. Go easy. You know, the program does tell us easy does it. It doesn't say crack the whip. We've, we come here, we're so battered and beaten down from our families, our friends, well-meeting people. We don't need to sit here and, like, I don't need to sit here and go, yeah, I'm, I've been keeping down, you know, 70, 75 pounds. I know what to do. I as hell know what to do. Please, I, I, I do not know what to do. You know, I found myself last year um, before, you know, this current sponsor I'm with said, okay, let's really – to clarify what your absence is, and it's a lot simpler. But last, you know, last Thanksgiving, I was face down in that ice cream when I was in Montreal with my husband and his family because, you know, I was having issues with my my husband and being there. And you see, I thought the ice cream was going to be my friend. I hadn't turned to ice cream as a friend in a long time, but I thought it could really be a friend to me. And, you know, it wasn't. That stuff always ricochets back. And it's the, con- you know, my recovery today is contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Um... Some days my spiritual condition is better than others. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, there are some people who just seem to float in this, these programs. You're like, oh, my God, you are so connected. I want to be you. When I first came in, they scared me. I'm like, oh, it's the crazy, weird God people. You know, sometimes I aspire to be that. But, you know, just a day at a time, I just try to do my best. I try not to hurt others. Cool. Um, and I'm allowed to take questions early if I want to stop early. Um, so I really just I try to do my best. And I, you know, I got into one of those moments the other day when I was driving. You know, when you're in the shower and you're in a meeting or you're driving and, you know, the brilliant thought comes to you. And I thought, God, Wendy, you are such a bad sponsor. You're just, you're just not a good sponsor. You know, you just don't give direction and you hate conflict and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know what? To be a sponsor, all you need to do is share your experience, strength, and hope, be a loving witness. I got to sit there with this woman. When I was tired, I said, do you have something with caffeine? She said, yes. I sat. I drank my tea. And afterwards, I got to say, you know what? This whole laundry list of defects, all this stuff, like, let's, let's not worry about it. Let's not feel shameful about it because we all have this. It's just about reaching out my hand and saying, I've been there. I'm still there. Let's get this through this stuff together. We don't have to be alone. That's the important thing that I realized after all these years. You are not alone. You know, it, it says, and I think an OA preamble, you know, welcome to Overeaters Anonymous. Welcome home. Um, I have no intentions of leaving. Sometimes, you know, my brain thinks, well, you know, maybe if you focus on your other programs, that's a bunch of baloney. That's just my disease saying, yeah, uh uh-huh, we got you. Yeah, right. 
Sorry, folks. You know, um, it's I'm not leaving. You're stuck with me. So um, I would like to take some questions, actually, which I know might sound unusual, but uh, I don't know what else to say. But, I mean, this program has really given me my life back. Um, I'm learning weird little things about myself. I'm, I'm slowly learning, oh, yeah, I really like that. Oh, I don't like that. Like, every... Almost every day, every year, every moment, more things are being revealed. I don't like a lot of them, but at least today I'm, I'm having the courage to face it and go, yeah, maybe I can face this. Maybe the fact that I choose not to eat bread. No one told me I don't have to eat bread anymore, but the fact that I can see that that's something that I don't need to do for myself today to try to soothe me, maybe there's hope for me in other areas. So I'm going to end on that. Thank you. Uh, are there any questions? Oh, I'm sorry. I will repeat the questions if there are any. And if they're not, I will apologize for stopping this early. Yes. My biggest challenge is these lovely character defects because I feel like they're here. They're just, like, right in my face. And um, it's accepting them, first of all, saying, okay, I have these things, A, and B, I can't change them on my own because I really do want to change them on my own. I want to say, you're not mindful enough. This is why you've had all the car accidents. Be mindful. And you can't do that. You just have to sort of slowly catch yourself in the moment when the defect's coming up and say, oh, okay, you're doing that. Okay, can we can we try a different thing? Or like when if depression sets in, just like, oh, everything is falling to bits. Maybe just pause and going, you know what? I have my health. I don't have that back pain that I thought was going to cripple me in January. Just trying to focus on the gratitude is what gets me out of it, gets me out of those challenges. And the challenges have been sort of moodiness and just really like a little bit too much introspection lately. That's been my biggest challenge, a little bit too much thinking, too much up in the head. So I try to get back to gratitude. Oh, nice question. Okay. Share about the amends that I made in recovery and how they have um, helped change my life. Um, two come to mind. Uh, the first was in my first abstinence, that, that first three years, and the second was in the second 13 years. So the first one, um, <clears throat> when I was in, I've had a friend who, some friends of mine I've had since age seven or eight, and we went all through elementary, junior high, high school. When we got to high school, I started to drift apart from a particular girlfriend, and it was, oftentimes when I would drift away from people, it was because of others' judgment. Oh, that person's a geek. That one's a nerd. I don't like hanging out with that person. So I started drifting apart, and I was like, oh, she's just so boring. I can't hang out with her anymore. So I really kind of separated myself. I didn't sit there and go, I don't want to talk to you anymore, but we just drifted apart. And when it came time to make the amends, um, something I heard... I, because none of my stuff's original, right? None of this material's original. I heard, you know, when you're considering amends, who would you be really embarrassed if somebody walked into the room like, would you want to hide? That's probably a person to whom you owe amends. So I thought of this particular woman, and um, I got her address, and I didn't have her phone number, and I wrote her a letter, and she wrote me a beautiful one back. And uh, we became good friends again, actually. And when I took um, a licensing exam, she was my model for this licensing exam. And she was at my wedding. I was at hers. And uh, that was really amazing. And, you know, she forgave me. And I think she might have said something like, you know what, we were kids. Um, which oftentimes we forget. You know, when we were doing this inventory stuff today, I said to my sponsor, I said, I wonder if the kid that you socked in the back when you were in, like, seventh grade even remembers that. And we are just kind of laughing about it. Um, then the second amends was made to a former employer. Um, I was working at a small record label at the time, and, um, you know, 
as people often do in the music business, and I'm sure other business, you have your expense account a bit. So, you know, was, was, was making dirt money, right? So I felt justified to, you know, expense lunches with friends, in which we might have discussed about business for a minute, basically saying, like, yeah, my boss is such a pain, she's a cheapskate, blah, 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 but not really <laughs> discussing the business at hand. So it was around the time of um, Hurricane Katrina, and um, I had a former colleague who had this old boss's information because she'd moved and she didn't own the label anymore, obviously. And, um, you know, I called her and I said, look, I, I want to tell you, you know, when I how are you doing? Oh, good. Da, da, da. You know, and I did say I was in a program. And I said, and, you know, when I worked for you, there were times when I, you know, lied in my expense reports. And I, you know, and I'd like to, you know, make amends and send you some money. No, 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 please, no. I'm really glad. No, you don't, no, no, you don't owe me anything, blah, blah, blah. So I talked to my sponsor. And you know how sponsors are. They don't let you off the hook. So she actually had a really great idea. She said, how about we make a donation to some charities in her name? So I did. I, I donated to... Um, she loved animals, so I made a donation for an animal charity and also one for hurricane relief, and it was like for the amount of, you know, a couple hundred dollars or whatever it was. And, you know, I was tight for money at the time, but just being able to do that, that sort of, you know, seventh tradition of just being self-supporting and cleaning up my side of the street, it really felt good. Oh, actually, I have one more to share, which is kind of a good one. Um, many years ago, I don't think I was drinking at the time. I might have been drinking or I may have just been overeating. Whatever it was, it was acting stupid. And I was out at a band dinner. I took a bread plate from the House of Blues because it was cool and it said House of Blues on it. And it has been in my china cabinet for probably a good 10 plus years. And as I was reworking the steps, I'm like, oh my God, I could give that plate back. And, you know, one of my spots like, well, are you sure? And, and no. I called. I left a message to the House of Blues. Someone called me back. I said, I know this is weird. She said, oh, we've had people do that before. <laughs> so I, I walked in and I gave it to the kids who were, you know, the, the waiters. Like, uh, like, I'm like, no, please just take it. Thank you very much. And so uh, that, that was, that helped me feel really clean to it. It was stupid. But yeah, no. So I no longer have stolen property in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? <laughs> That was a funny one. Yeah, I was like, and that was actually, I did that this year, actually. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> yes, yay, okay. It comes and goes. I wish I could sit here before you and say, oh, sorry, um, when, how does it feel when the obsession with food vanishes, or does it, right? How does it feel? I wish I could tell you that it just vanishes completely. Um, for example, I tend to get a little bit, you know, on and off with sometimes sugar-free hard candies. I go through little phases. They're sugar-free. You know, so what? They make you bloaty. They make you gassy. They're crappy. Blah, 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 blah. That's not really a swear word, is it? Anyways, um, but I can tell you that certain obsessions, like um, my husband has caught me since I was looking at his food. I don't really do that so much anymore. Like, he said, oh, yeah, I saw you looking at those fries. Or I saw you eyeballing that dessert. But I think the last time he said that was like, it was at a sponsee's wedding about two years ago. So for me, the obsession, like, for example, bread. I'm sorry to keep returning to the bread thing. But, you know, I've often said, if you put, like, a big chocolate cake or brownies or, like, a fresh hot loaf in front of me, I'm going for that bread. But now, because I know it's so not an option, I really don't care. I mean, you know, yesterday we're at dinner. The, re the, the guy brings the naan. He puts it in front of me, you know, Indian bread. And I just push it over towards my husband. I mean, sometimes bread really smells good, but I try to avoid bakeries. It's kind of like, yeah, unless I have a good reason to be there. If I have to buy a cake for something, I'll go there. But it's sort of like they talk about also in the big book. If you have a reason to be in a bar and you have to do business there, go. But if you don't, you know, stay away. So, so when it's removed, it's kind of like, oh, wow, that's hopeful. Maybe, you know, maybe some of these defects can eventually go too. Does that answer? Okay. Cool. Okay, thank you.